Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Welcome to another episode of Tales to Terrify. I don't really have much to talk about before we get into things. My wife has lined up a double screening of the 2016 movie Hush and the 2015 Korean film The Silenced, which both are somewhere on the horror spectrum, so I'll give you the rundown of those in the near future. Hush seems to be a sort of inverse of Don't Breathe, which, if you didn't see Don't Breathe, please do. But both of the movies she's got lined up have now we say mediocre IMDb ratings, so we'll see what we get. And a bit of a shout-out to Dusty Cassidy, who asked us for help finding a story on an older episode. If you're looking for a story that is about a guy who bought an old house that belonged to a now-dead band frontman and his wife, then encounters who may have been the man's muse, it's all the way back on episode three, Gary McMahon's Black Glass. We've got two stories tonight, one modern and one a classic. First up, Shanoa Carol Brad is the author of the comedic steampunk adventure Lightning Lord and the Duplex of Death. 
as well as the Victorian occult detective series Fidget and Klein. Her short stories have appeared in more than two dozen anthologies and presented on, right here at Tales to Terrify, far-fetched fables and chilling tales for dark nights. We did hear from Shanoa Carol Brad back in episode 244 with her story Secrets of the Seven Symphonies. Find out more about Shanoa and her work at www.sbcbfiction.net. Link will be in the show notes. Listen with me to Shanoa Carol Brad's She Makes My Skin Crawl. Jamie checked his watch against the computer clock. Then, with a sick stomach lurch, desperately glanced up at the clock on the wall. No, no, no. Oh, God! He wasn't going to make it home on time. The daily alarm he'd set on his phone hadn't gone off, and now he was screwed. Jamie grabbed his files and briefcase, then dashed for the elevator, begging it to move faster and tapping his foot as the numbers slowly lit. His phone had died completely, even though it was fully charged last night. The black screen taunted him. You're in for it now. When the elevator doors finally opened, he entered and breathed a sigh of relief to find it empty. No one was going to slow him down with small talk or how he'd been, how things were at home. Wait, a woman's voice called. Please, hold the elevator. Jamie stuck out his hand to block the automatic doors. Hannah, a sweet new hire from accounting, slid into the elevator and flashed him a smile. Cold sweat prickled over his head as Jamie realized he could smell her. Hannah's flowery perfume filled his nostrils and sent him into a panic. His hand shot out to block the doors again. "'You know, I think I'll take the stairs. It's, it's better for me anyway. Good exercise,' he muttered as he rushed out of the elevator. Jamie was out of earshot before she had a chance to reply, hustling his way down the echoing concrete stairwell. On the drive home, he sped whenever he could, trying to earn back the lost minutes. But at that hour, everyone else had the same plan, and he found himself snarled in a traffic jam that sucked away his hope. Jamie kept flashing hateful, frightened looks at his clock in the dash, swearing at it for doing its job so precisely. Sweat broke out across his skin, even though the A.C. was on full blast, and no matter what radio station he switched to, Nothing could take his mind off the clamoring refrain pounding in his head. I'm going to be late. Elaine's going to be furious. She's going to punish me. But it's not my fault. I can just tell her she's not going to listen. She's going to make me crawl. The car behind him honked and Jamie rolled forward a few feet before the fear song began again. I'm going to be late. When he finally arrived at home, Jamie unlocked the door and slipped inside. The lights were off. Elena wasn't home yet. Jamie let out a long breath that quickly turned into a high-pitched manic giggle. He staggered to the dining room table and collapsed into a chair, letting his briefcase fall to the floor. As he fought to catch his breath again, Jamie dropped his head into his cupped palms, elbows braced on the tabletop. His body felt light with the flood of relief and adrenaline. Then the bathroom door swung open and his heart sank. Elena emerged, unsmiling, beneath her ceremonial makeup. She had painted her face bone-white, stark in contrast to her smooth tan skin, 
and a bar of red shadow ran across both eyes all the way to her temples. "'I'm a bruja,' she had told him once, lifetimes ago, demurely holding the sheet over her breasts as they lay in bed. "'Like mi madre. Does that scare you?' He had kissed her like an idiot and tugged playfully at the fabric. "'You are a beauty, just like your mother. Nothing you do could ever scare me.' Jamie hadn't been listening then. He'd been thinking about her long, coffee-colored legs and what he could do to make her smile. When she showed him the circular birthmark on her ass where she swore the devil had bitten her, Jamie set his teeth along the curve and clamped down until she yelped, determined to leave his own mark. He'd warned her that he could be a little possessive sometimes. She said she found it cute. Elena had been honest with him from the start, and he had whistled himself right into the slaughterhouse. Jamie fought to keep his jaw from trembling as his wife leveled her gaze at him. He could already feel his muscles locking up. Sweetheart, he forced between clenched teeth. I'm sorry. I had a lot of files to approve. I lost track of time. She lifted her chin, empty eyes narrowed. Then why didn't you call? My phone died. It was only going to be fifteen minutes, but then traffic. She strode over and seized his lapel, sniffing him up and down like a dog. Jamie held still, praying that none of Hannah's perfume had managed to permeate his clothes. At last, Elana released him with a sigh and pressed her sticky black lips to his temple. His shoulders relaxed. Maybe she would be merciful. Maybe things would be different this time. Oh, Jamie, baby, she sighed, her breath teasing his ear. Why do you make me do this? He stared up at her, dumbstruck. But I didn't. I didn't do anything. Her long red nails slid under his jacket, pushing it off his shoulders, shucking his clothes in a parody of sensual undressing. Perhaps not this time. But I love you so much, it hurts. It would kill me if you cheated. She brought her darkened lips up to within inches of his, staring eye to eye. Can't you see I have to make sure you never do? Jamie opened his mouth, slowly shaking his head side to side. He couldn't find anything to say. She knew he was innocent. Nothing could derail the preemptive punishment. Please, was all he could manage, though it came out a half-whisper. Elena's empty eyes were wet behind the ceremonial paint, and her black lips turned down. She really did seem sorry, but, as Jamie had learned, regret would not get in the way of what she considered right. Her trembling lower lip firmed, and she lowered her gaze from his. Go on, she ordered. Get in the bathtub. Jamie blinked back tears, but he stopped protesting. If he didn't make it to the bathroom before she began, Elena would make him clean up afterward. That mess had only had to happen once before he learned his lesson. He'd used up so many paper towels and then was incredibly self-conscious when he took the bag of bloody evidence out to the trash. Insanely, he feared a neighbor might see and call the cops, thinking he was some kind of wife-beater. Elena would not be pleased if the police showed up asking questions. 
Jamie wore a blank white ceramic mask, its interior thick with petroleum jelly, and spent hours staring at the water stains on the bathroom ceiling, unable to blink or close his eyes. Elena came by every few minutes with eye drops, and to murmur sweet words that verged on apologies, but never made it all the way there. The first time she punished him, the effect was so small he mistook the sore, loose patch of skin on his knee for a scrape. She didn't tell him what she'd done. So when it went away on its own, Jamie assumed it had healed. For months, she'd passive-aggressively punish him for minor offenses, peeling back strips of skin on his elbows and shins when he left the toilet seat up or went out with friends instead of spending time with her. He tried to remember the last time he'd socialized with anyone outside of work and couldn't. Elena didn't like it, and it just wasn't worth the risk anymore. Jamie had gone to a dermatologist about the strange scrapes and peeling, but the doctor had never seen anything like his affliction and could only offer analgesic creams. When the abrasions eventually cleared up on their own, he wrote the whole thing off as a strange new allergy. That was, until the night he went out drinking without her permission. When Jamie came home, still slightly buzzed, he found Elena sitting up and waiting, wearing her ceremonial paint. He had laughed at first. She silenced him by making his skin wander through rose bushes all night. It came back in tatters, and he had lain there, helpless, while she stitched his dermis back together. He'd had to call in sick for a week until the most obvious cuts healed. Lying in the bathtub now, Jamie felt rough asphalt beneath his hands and feet. He felt a sickening sense of motion as he lay perfectly still, staring up at the ceiling. Something furry and slick squished beneath his left palm. His right hand moved over to investigate, and he felt thin bones beneath his fingertips. A naked tail. A possum, perhaps? Roadkill? His hand slid through it like mud, like congealing finger paint. He'd often wondered if his skin had enough awareness to avoid being seen, or if a crab walked through the night like a stray, fighting turf wars with alley cats and scaling picket fences. Elena probably knew the answer, but he could not bear to ask. Cool concrete scraped his hands and feet, followed by the rough tickle of grass and the steps outside their apartment. Jamie let out a little sigh of relief behind the mask, careful not to move his torso too much. She'd filled the tub with warm water, as always, so his muscles wouldn't dry out. Jamie heard his empty palms slap the front door, and the creak of the hinge as Elena let his skin inside like a returning pet. He felt her lift him, and then she entered the bathroom and seated herself on the closed toilet lid, his vacant skin draped over her lap. Elena hummed to herself as she brought out the baby wipes and began to clean him from the feet up. That song she hummed sometimes haunted his dreams, and he'd wake up sweating, convinced he'd fallen asleep in the tub while his skin wandered in penance. The first time she'd punished him this way, he'd thought he was losing his mind. He spent days convinced he had dreamed it, or that he was simply cracking up. But when her paranoia caught her again, he knew it was real. She made his skin crawl, 
and there was no one he could tell. No one who might believe it. Jamie had considered divorcing her, or even just running, but he had no idea how much range her magic had. Could she peel his skin off from a mile away? A city's length? A state's? And if he did divorce her, if he managed to get through all the court proceedings intact, what was to stop her from sending his skin walking and never calling it back home? The strokes of the baby wipes tingled like sensations in a phantom limb. Her ministrations felt soft and gentle until she reached his groin. The corresponding places stirred on his denuded frame, and he gasped a little cry of pain as naked nerves rubbed raw muscle. Her attention quickly shifted away. She was feeling generous tonight. She had once massaged that disconnected area until he screamed, and Jamie suspected she'd only stopped for fear the neighbors would complain. Elena continued upwards until she reached his hairline, brushing away burrs and dirt and gravel. When she finished cleaning his skin, Elena reached over and pulled the plug chain. The bath drained with a gagging laugh, and chill air crept over Jamie's bare muscles as the water receded. Once the tub was empty, she pried the Vaseline-lined mask from his face and laid his skin out over him again, foot to foot, shoulder to shoulder. It melted and spread over his muscles like a perfect coat of paint, running down the curves of his back and arms, swiftly encasing him again. When his eyelids returned, Jamie squeezed them shut until tears dribbled from the corners. So grateful was he just to have the chance not to see. Elena's long nails grazed his flesh as she grabbed his arms and helped him out of the tub, wrapping him in a soft, fluffy towel. She pressed her body against him as she rubbed him dry. "'You know I love you,' she murmured. "'I know.' "'I wouldn't have to do this if you'd just be honest with me.' "'I'm sorry,' he gritted out. She pressed her forehead to his chest. "'Why do you make me do these things? Don't you love me?' "'Of course I love you,' Jamie said, eyes still closed tight. "'I love you so much.' Elena wrapped her arms around him, squeezing the damp towel against his newly returned skin. Jamie forgot sometimes just how small she was, how delicate. When he lay immobile in the bathtub, her slight frame seemed to loom above him like a giant. He traced a hand up her spine and curled it over the back of her neck. "'I'm glad that's over,' she said. "'Please don't make me do it again.' "'I won't.' His fingers tightened as it dawned on him that, if he really set his mind to it, he could probably snap her neck. She might struggle, but she wouldn't have time to peel him again, and it would be as easy as crushing a baby bird underfoot. He could break her spine, then just walk away, free at last. Elena froze, her tiny body pressed against him, face still hidden in his chest. If anything happens to me, she said very slowly, carefully pronouncing each word so there could be no confusion, Marco will come for you. The fingers around her neck loosened and slid up into her hair, tugging her head back so he could kiss her painted lips. I know, Jamie said, fighting the dread that clutched at his throat. 
Elena had never mentioned if their mother had taught her brother Marco the ways of brujeria as well, but Jamie suspected she had. His eyes were empty and unreflective like Elena's, and from their brief interactions Jamie got the feeling that she was the more stable of the two. "'Let's go to bed,' she suggested, wiping at her smeared lipstick with the back of one hand. "'Let me show you you're forgiven.' Jamie cleared his throat, gesturing with his chin. Don't you want to wash all that off your face first? Elena's head snapped up so fast he recoiled. Sure, she meant to bite. Why? Is my heritage ugly to you? Jamie shook his head, swallowing hard. Uh, of course not. Don't be silly. He was lost, he knew. There was no escape for him. But once he got past that cold curtain of despair... A fresh terror began to bloom. Before their marriage, he and Elena had talked about how someday they'd like to have kids. Would she teach them to be like her? Or would she forgo spankings and grounding in favor of punishing them the same way she punished him, and for the same imagined infractions? What kind of father could he be if he couldn't protect his children from their own mother? or from each other if they followed her path. How could he hope to discipline a child who could flay him? Elena took his hand, leading him down the hall to their room. You're very quiet all of a sudden. Not mad at me, are you? Jamie forced himself to smile, despite how cold and sick his insides felt. He wondered if she could tell when he was lying. Not that speaking the truth would be any safer. Mad at you? Never, baby. He took a shaky breath. You're my queen. She grinned and flicked her long black hair over her shoulder before standing on tiptoe to kiss him. Yes, I am, you lucky hombre, and I'm all yours forever. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. That was Shinoa Carol Brad's She Makes My Skin Crawl, as read by Dan Gerzinski. Dan lives in Tully, New York, near Syracuse, and earns his living bending the unseen forces of nature to his will as a broadcast engineer. He's been a recording engineer, electronics technician, repairer of broken things, and regularly reads for LibriVox.org. Link to that will be in our show notes. Thank you, Dan. Our second story comes to us from a very familiar name. Nathaniel Hawthorne was born in 1804 in Salem, Massachusetts, to Nathaniel Hathorne and the former Elizabeth Clark Manning. His ancestors include John Hathorne, the only judge involved in the Salem witch trials who never repented of his actions. Nathaniel later added a W to make his name Hawthorne in order to hide this relation. Much of Hawthorne's writing centers on New England, many works featuring moral allegories with a Puritan inspiration. His fiction works are considered part of the Romantic movement, and more specifically dark Romanticism. His themes often center on the inherent evil and sin of humanity, and his works often have moral messages and deep psychological complexity. His published works include novels, short stories, and a biography of his college friend, Franklin Pierce, the 14th President of the United States. Stay tuned. Here comes Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Ambitious Guest. One September night, a family had gathered round their hearth and piled it high with the driftwood of mountain streams, the dry cones of the pine, and the splintered ruins of great trees that had come crashing down the precipice. Up the chimney roared the fire and brightened the room with its broad blaze. The faces of the father and mother had a sober gladness. The children laughed. The eldest daughter was the image of happiness at seventeen, and the aged grandmother, who sat knitting in the warmest place, was the image of happiness grown old. They had found the herb, heart's ease, in the bleakest spot of all New England. This family were situated in the notch of the White Hills, where the wind was sharp throughout the year and pitilessly cold in the winter, giving their cottage all its fresh inclemency before it descended on the valley of the Seco. They dwelt in a cold spot and a dangerous one, for a mountain towered above their heads, so steep that the stones would often rumble down its sides and startle them at midnight. Their daughter had just uttered some simple jest that filled them all with mirth when the wind came through the notch and seemed to pause before their cottage, rattling the door with a sound of wailing and lamentation before it passed into the valley. For a moment it saddened them, though there was nothing unusual in the tones. But the family were glad again when they perceived that the latch was lifted by some traveller, whose footsteps had been unheard amid the dreary blast which heralded his approach, and wailed as he was entering, and went moaning away from the door. 
Though they dwelt in such a solitude, these people held daily converse with the world. The romantic pass of the notch is a great artery, through which the lifeblood of internal commerce is continually throbbing between Maine on one side and the green mountains and the shores of the St. Lawrence on the other. The stagecoach always drew up before the door of the cottage. The wayfarer, with no companion but his staff, paused here to exchange a word that the sense of loneliness might not utterly overcome him ere he could pass through the cleft of the mountain or reach the first house in the valley. And here the teamster, on his way to Portland Market, would put up for the night, and, if a bachelor, might sit an hour beyond the usual bedtime and steal a kiss from the mountain maid at parting. It was one of those primitive taverns where the traveller pays only for food and lodging, but meets with a homely kindness beyond all price. When the footsteps were heard, therefore, between the outer door and the inner one, the whole family rose up, grandmother, children, and all, as if about to welcome someone who belonged to them and whose fate was linked with theirs. The door was opened by a young man. His face at first wore the melancholy expression, almost despondency, of one who travels a wild and bleak road, at nightfall and alone, but soon brightened up when he saw the kindly warmth of his reception. He felt his heart spring forward to meet them all, from the old woman who wiped a chair with her apron to the little child that held out its arms to him. One glance and smile placed the stranger on a footing of innocent familiarity with the eldest daughter. "'Ah, this fire is the right thing,' cried he, "'especially when there is such a pleasant circle round it. "'I am quite benumbed, for the notch is just like the pipe of a great pair of bellows. "'It has blown a terrible blast in my face all the way from Bartlett.' "'Then are you going towards Vermont?' said the master of the house, "'as he helped to take a light knapsack off the young man's shoulders. "'Yes, to Burlington, and far enough beyond,' replied he. "'I meant to have been at Ethan Crawford's to-night,' but a pedestrian lingers along such a road as this. It is no matter, for when I saw this good fire and all your cheerful faces, I felt as if you had kindled it on purpose for me, and were waiting my arrival. So I shall sit down among you and make myself at home. The frank-hearted stranger had just drawn his chair to the fire, when something like a heavy footstep was heard without, rushing down the steep side of the mountain, as with long and rapid strides, and taking such a leap in passing the cottage as to strike the opposite precipice. The family held their breath, because they knew the sound, and their guest held his by instinct. "'The old mountain's thrown a stone at us, for fear we should forget him,' said the landlord, recovering himself. "'He sometimes nods his head and threatens to come down, but we are old neighbors, and agree together pretty well upon the whole.' "'Besides, we have a sure place of refuge hard by, "'if he should be coming in good earnest.' "'Let us now suppose the stranger "'to have finished his supper of bear's meat, "'and by his natural felicity of manner "'to have placed himself on a footing of kindness "'with the whole family, "'so that they talked as freely together "'as if he belonged to their mountain brood. "'He was of a proud yet gentle spirit, "'haughty and reserved among the rich and great, but ever ready to stoop his head to the lowly cottage door, and be like a brother or a son at the poor man's fireside. In the household of the Notch he found warmth and simplicity of feeling, the pervading intelligence of New England, and a poetry of native growth, which they had gathered, when they little thought of it, from the mountain peaks and chasms, and at the very threshold of their romantic and dangerous abode. He had traveled far and alone. His whole life, indeed, had been a solitary path, 
for, with the lofty caution of his nature, he had kept himself apart from those who might otherwise have been his companions. The family, too, though so kind and hospitable, had that consciousness of unity among themselves, and separation from the world at large, which, in every domestic circle, should still keep a holy place where no stranger may intrude. But this evening a prophetic sympathy impelled the refined and educated youth to pour out his heart before the simple mountaineers, and constrained them to answer him with the same free confidence. And thus it should have been. Is not the kindred of a common fate a closer tie than that of birth? The secret of the young man's character was a high and abstracted ambition. He could have been born to live an undistinguished life, but not to be forgotten in the grave. Yearning desire had been transformed to hope, and hope, long cherished, had become like certainty that, obscurely as he journeyed now, a glory was to beam on all his pathway, though not, perhaps, while he was treading it. But when posterity should gaze back into the gloom of what was now the present, they would trace the brightness of his footsteps, brightening as meaner glories faded, and confess that a gifted one had passed from his cradle to his tomb, with none to recognize him. "'As yet,' cried the stranger, his cheek glowing and his eye flashing with enthusiasm, "'as yet I have done nothing. Were I to vanish from the earth to-morrow, none would know so much of me as you, that a nameless youth came up at nightfall from the valley of the Seiko, and opened his heart to you in the evening, and passed through the notch by sunrise, and was seen no more. Not a soul would ask, Who was he? Whither did the wanderer go? But I cannot die till I have achieved my destiny.' Then let death come. I shall have built my monument. There was a continual flow of natural emotion, gushing forth amid abstracted reverie, which enabled the family to understand this young man's sentiments, though so foreign from their own. With quick sensibility of the ludicrous, he blushed at the ardor into which he had been betrayed. You, you laugh at me, said he, taking the eldest daughter's hand and laughing himself. You think my ambition as nonsensical as if I were to freeze myself to death on the top of Mount Washington, only that people might spy at me from the country round about. And truly, that would be a noble pedestal for a man's statue. It is better to sit here by this fire, answered the girl, blushing, and be comfortable and contented, though nobody thinks about us. I suppose, said her father, after a fit of musing, there is something natural in what the young man says, and if my mind had been turned that way, I might have felt just the same. It is strange, wife, how his talk has set my head running on things that are pretty certain never to come to pass. Perhaps they may, observed the wife. Is the man thinking what he will do when he is a widower? No, no, cried he, repelling the idea with reproachful kindness. When I think of your death, Esther, I think of mine, too. But I was wishing we had a good farm in Bartlett, or Bethlehem, or Littleton, or some other township round the White Mountains, but not where they could tumble on our heads. I should want to stand well with my neighbors and be called squire, and sent to general court for a term or two, for a plain honest man may do as much good there as a lawyer." and when I should be grown quite an old man, and you an old woman, so as not to be long apart, I might die happy enough in my bed, and leave you all crying around me. A slate gravestone would suit me as well as a marble one, with just my name and age, and a verse of a hymn, and something to let people know that I lived an honest man, and died a Christian. 
There now, exclaimed the stranger, it is our nature to desire a monument, be it slate or marble, or a pillar of granite, or a glorious memory in the universal heart of man. We're in a strange way tonight, said the wife, with tears in her eyes. They say it's a sign of something, when folks' minds go a-wandering so. Hark to the children. They listened accordingly. The younger children had been put to bed in another room, but with an open door between, so that they could be heard talking busily among themselves. One and all seemed to have caught the infection from the fireside circle, and were outvying each other in wild wishes and childish projects of what they would do when they came to be men and women. At length a little boy, instead of addressing his brothers and sisters, called out to his mother. "'I'll tell you what I wish, mother,' cried he. "'I want you and father and grandmam and all of us, and the stranger too, to start right away and go and take a drink out of the basin of the flume.' Nobody could help laughing at the child's notion of leaving a warm bed and dragging them from a cheerful fire to visit the basin of the flume, a brook which tumbles over the precipice deep within the notch. The boy had hardly spoken when a wagon rattled along the road and stopped a moment before the door. It appeared to contain two or three men who were cheering their hearts with a rough chorus of a song, which resounded in broken notes between the cliffs while the singers hesitated whether to continue their journey or put up here for the night. "'Father,' said the girl, "'they are calling you by name.' But the good man doubted whether they had really called him, and was unwilling to show himself too solicitous of gain by inviting people to patronize his house. He therefore did not hurry to the door, and the lash being soon applied, the travellers plunged into the notch, still singing and laughing, though their music and mirth came back drearily from the heart of the mountain. "'There, mother!' cried the boy again. "'They'd have given us a ride to the flume!' Again they laughed at the child's pertinacious fancy for a night ramble. But it happened that a light cloud passed over the daughter's spirit. She looked gravely into the fire, and drew a breath that was almost a sigh. It forced its way, in spite of a little struggle to repress it. Then, starting and blushing, she looked quickly round the circle, as if they had caught a glimpse into her bosom. The stranger asked what she had been thinking of. "'Nothing,' answered she, with a downcast smile. "'Only I felt lonesome just then.' "'Oh, I have always had a gift of feeling what is in other people's hearts,' said he, half-seriously. "'Shall I tell the secrets of yours? For I know what to think when a young girl shivers by a warm hearth, and complains of lonesomeness at her mother's side. Shall I put these feelings into words?' "'They would not be a girl's feelings any longer if they could be put into words,' replied the mountain nymph, laughing, but avoiding his eye. All this was set apart. Perhaps a germ of love was springing in their hearts, so pure that it might blossom in paradise, since it could not be matured on earth. For women worship such gentle dignity as his, and the proud, contemplative, yet kindly soul is oftenest captivated by simplicity like hers.' But while they spoke softly, and he was watching the happy sadness, the lightsome shadows, the shy yearnings of a maiden's nature, the wind through the notch took a deeper and drearier sound. It seemed, as the fanciful stranger said, like the choral strain of the spirits of the blast, who in old Indian times had their dwelling among these mountains, and made their heights and recesses a sacred region. There was a wail along the road, as if a funeral were passing. To chase away the gloom, the family threw pine branches on their fire till the dry leaves crackled and the flame arose, discovering once again a scene of peace and humble happiness. 
the light hovered about them fondly and caressed them all. There were the little faces of the children peeping from their bed apart, and here the father's frame of strength, the mother's subdued and careful mien, the high-browed youth, the budding girl, and the good old grandam, still knitting in the warmest place. The aged woman looked up from her task, and, with fingers ever busy, was the next to speak. "'Old folks have their notions,' said she, "'as well as young ones. "'You've been wishing and planning, "'and letting your heads run on one thing and another "'till you've set my mind a-wandering too. "'Now what should an old woman wish for "'when she can go but a step or two "'before she comes to her grave? "'Children, it will haunt me night and day till I tell you.' "'What is it, mother?' cried the husband and wife at once. Then the old woman, with an air of mystery, which drew the circle close around the fire, informed them that she had provided her grave clothes some years before. A nice linen shroud, a cap with a muslin ruff, and everything of a finer sort than she had worn since her wedding day. But this evening an old superstition had strangely recurred to her. It used to be said in her younger days that if anything were amiss with a corpse— if only the ruff were not smooth, or the cap did not set right, the corpse in the coffin and beneath the clods would strive to put up its cold hands and arrange it. The bare thought made her nervous. "'Don't talk so, grandmother,' said the girl, shuddering. "'Now,' continued the old woman, with singular earnestness, yet smiling strangely at her own folly, "'I want one of you, my children, when your mother is dressed and in the coffin,' I want one of you to hold a looking-glass over my face. Who knows but I might take a glimpse at myself and see whether all's right. Old and young, we dream of graves and monuments, murmured the stranger youth. I wonder how mariners feel when the ship is sinking, and they, unknown and undistinguished, are to be buried together in the ocean, that wide and nameless sepulchre. For a moment, the old woman's ghastly conception so engrossed the minds of her hearers that a sound abroad in the night, rising like the roar of a blast, had grown broad, deep, and terrible before the fated group were conscious of it. The house and all within it trembled, as if this awful sound were the peal of the last trump. Young and old exchanged one wild glance and remained an instant, pale, affrighted, without utterance or power to move. Then the same shriek, burst simultaneously from all their lips. The slide! The slide! The simplest words must imitate, but not portray the unutterable horror of the catastrophe. The victims rushed from their cottage and sought refuge in what they deemed a safer spot, where, in contemplation of such an emergency, a sort of barrier had been reared. Alas, they had quitted their security and fled right into the pathway of destruction. Down came the whole side of the mountain in a cataract of ruin. Just before it reached the house, the stream broke into two branches, shivered not a window there, but overwhelmed the whole vicinity, blocked up the road, and annihilated everything in its dreadful course. Long ere the thunder of the great slide had ceased to roar among the mountains, the mortal agony had been endured, and the victims were at peace. Their bodies were never found. The next morning, the light smoke was seen, stealing from the cottage chimney up the mountainside. Within, the fire was yet smouldering on the hearth, and the chairs in a circle round it, as if the inhabitants had but gone forth to view the devastation of the slide, and would shortly return to thank heaven for their miraculous escape. 
All had left separate tokens by which those who had known the family were made to shed a tear for each. Who has not heard their name? The story has been told far and wide and will forever be a legend of these mountains. Poets have sung their fate. There were circumstances which led some to suppose that a stranger had been received into the cottage on this awful night and had shared the catastrophe of all its inmates. Others denied that there were sufficient grounds for such a conjecture. Woe for the high-souled youth with his dream of earthly immortality, his name and person utterly unknown, his history, his way of life, his plans, a mystery never to be solved, his death and his existence equally a doubt. Whose was the agony of that death moment? That was Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Ambitious Guest, as read by Pete Lutz. Pete Lutz hails from Illinois, but departed at an early age to seek his fortune. Twenty years later, he retired from the U.S. Navy, having been completely misinformed as to where all the fortunes were. Since that time, he has done a number of interesting things, many of which should never be mentioned in a public forum. But one of those interesting things was the creation of an audio drama podcast series called Pulp Puri Theater, an anthology series with adaptations from classic pulp fiction and original stories from both Pete and guest playwrights. The podcast can be found on both iTunes and Stitcher. Pete lives in South Texas with his wife and son. He's a civil servant in his day job with a part-time radio gig, but his nights and early mornings are spent in great bursts of audio creativity. Lastly, for the benefits of Miss Marcia Morgenstern, he is not the Pete Lutz who stole the jack-o'-lantern off his grandma's front porch in Big Legs, Idaho, in 1949. Please stop calling him about that. Thank you, Pete. That'll be our show for the evening, children of the night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show is produced by our editor Scott Silk and associate editors Seth Williams and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Lightsey and theme music by Diane Severson. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website www.districtofwonders.com Thank you for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.